0: This is Scott Archer, pastor of Central Congregational Church in La Mesa, California. Thank you so much for tuning into our Sunday Service Podcast, CCC Sunday Messages. I hope you find the messages both challenging and encouraging as you seek to know and follow Jesus in your daily life. If you live in or ever happen to visit the San Diego area, we would love to have you join us for worship and fellowship. For location, service times, and other information about our church, please visit our website at ccclamesa.com. CCC is a small but passionate intergenerational church working together for the glory of God and the good of our neighbors near and far. Well, let's uh, grab our Bibles or open our Bible apps and let's open back up the Gospel of Mark. And believe it or not, we have this Sunday and we have next Sunday and we will uh, have finally finished uh, this study. Uh, to be honest, I'm going to be a little bit uh, sad because I've really enjoyed just just being so consistently in one book and just using it as a place of prayer and, and letting the Holy Spirit do a work in me and preparing the various messages. I hope it's been helpful for you. I hope it's been both an encouragement and an exhortation to you. Uh, As together we've been looking to Mark to see how we can get in on the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And today we're going to be in the next part of Mark chapter 15, looking at verses 16 through 41. And next week we'll pick up at the end of chapter 15 and finish through verse uh, chapter 16. And uh, we come now in the gospel of Mark to the climax of his gospel, and. as we come to the crucifixion. And you might immediately say, well, wait a minute, the crucifixion isn't the climax. The resurrection is the climax. Well, yes and no. Really, the crucifixion and the resurrection are two sides of the same coin, right? But the resurrection is the proof of what God did through Jesus Christ on the cross, and especially in Mark's gospel, his whole gospel and everything that Jesus has said and done and through his trial, from by the religious leaders that we talked about two weeks ago, and then by the political leader Pilate last week, uh, and now his arrest and being handed over to be crucified. This is where this is the climax of Mark's gospel, and it's so interesting for us to think about uh, the good news being tied to the crucifixion. Um, but that is the climax. Of Mark started his gospel saying, "This is the gospel." the good news of Jesus Christ and it climaxes in the crucifixion. And so we are going to look at that this morning. And as we do that, I want to suggest to us that the idea of the crucifixion uh, is the hallmark and the unique the unique identifier of the Christian religion, of those who claim a faith in God through Jesus Christ the apostle paul said it this way in 1 corinthians chapter 2 verse 2 he said when he was with the corinthians he resolved to know nothing while he was with them except jesus christ and him crucified now many of us that have been in church for years we've heard that verse a whole bunch of times and it really doesn't register any any emotional uh, or, mental response in us. We've, like, oh, yes, Jesus and Him crucified. But we have to go back in time and we have to hear that phrase the way that uh, the original hearers, when Paul said it, uh, would have taken that. Because the crucifixion was a brutal, horrible uh, means of death. Uh, I don't know if it was invented by the Romans, but it was used the most by the Romans. Um, just to humiliate and destroy anyone that would stand against them. And so for the original hearers to hear the Apostle Paul, especially those that hadn't come to faith yet, to hear him say that his his message and his, his religion, for lack of a better word right now, was was centered on knowing nothing except this man, Jesus Christ, and not just about him and his teaching, but him crucified. One of my favorite uh, modern day writers and preachers uh, is a woman whose name is Fleming Rutledge. She's an 80 year old woman that is one of the most profound writers and speakers uh, in our country today and in the world today. And she has written a book just simply called The Crucifixion. And it's a big, fat book if you want to take a, a deep dive theologically that takes on all the different what are called theories of atonement, the various attempts to explain why Jesus died. And there are entire denominations in the church worldwide that are split on emphasizing one uh, over and against another. And she really does a great job of talking about how all these different theories are different facets of looking looking at what God did for us through the the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and to emphasize one at the expense of the other actually cheapens and and hinders our ability to understand. But Fleming Rutledge, in her book, The Crucifixion, says this in its context, in its day, and even to this day. Christianity is unique. The world's religions have certain traits in common. But until the gospel of Jesus Christ burst on the Mediterranean world, No one in the history of human imagination had conceived such a thing, of such a thing, as the worship of a crucified man. that, That is an unbelievable concept back then, and really, to be honest, if we were truthful with ourselves, it's an unbelievable concept in and of itself today. I would say that it is only as God gives us the gift of faith that we can see in the crucified Christ the Savior and the King of the world. Let me read a little bit more uh, from her book, uh, The Crucifixion. She goes on to say this. um, We can begin with the oddity of the universally recognized signifier, the Crucifixion. She says, let's just look at the idea that we use that phrase, the Crucifixion. It will help us to understand the uniqueness of Jesus' death if we can grasp the idiosyncrasy of this manner of speaking. There have been many famous deaths in world history. We might think of John F. Kennedy, or Marie Antoinette, or Cleopatra, Abraham Lincoln, different ones. But we do not refer to the assassination, or the guillotining, or the poisoning. Such references would be incomprehensible. The use of the term the crucifixion for the execution of Jesus shows that it still retains a privileged status, When we speak of the crucifixion, even in this secular age, many people will know what is meant. There is something in the strange death of the man identified as the Son of God that continues to command special attention. This death, this execution, above and beyond all others, continues to have universal reverberations. Of no other death in human history can this be said. Let me say that again. Of no other death in human history can this be said. The cross of Jesus stands alone in this regard. It is sui generis. It's in a category all by itself. There were many thousands of crucifixions in Roman times, but only the crucifixion of Jesus is remembered as having any significance at all, let alone world-transforming significance. The cross of Jesus Christ the idea of a crucified God is is the message of the gospel. It is the heart of the good news, and it is uniquely a Christian idea. So with that in mind, let's look at our passage this morning in Mark uh, chapter 15, starting at verse 16. Let me get back there. Here, uh, here we go. We read this part starting at verse 16. We read this at the end of the passage last last week, but I wanted to start there this week. Excuse me, just a moment. <clears throat> Excuse me. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium. Led him away from being uh, interrogated by Pilate, and then eventually Pilate turning him over to be crucified. And they, the soldiers called together the whole company of soldiers. was passing by on his way in from the country, and they, the soldiers, forced him to carry the cross, the crossbeam of the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, which would be like a sedative, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see which, what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. The idea being it was both mocking the Jews, I think, but it was also a testament that this is what happens to anybody that would dare to defy the Roman emperor and the Roman rule. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, so you were going to destroy the temple and build it in three days? Come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the, leader, uh, the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. <laughs> he saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me or abandoned me? And that is the title of our message this morning, God Forsaken for Our Sake. When some of those standing there uh, near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. They expected that Elijah was going to come uh, before the Messiah. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph, and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs, and many other women had come up with him to Jerusalem. Who had come up with him to, from, to Jerusalem Excuse me, were also there. Mark's version of the crucifixion is the most succinct. It's the most sparse. Um, it is the one out of all four gospels, it's the one that really places Jesus in the most forsaken, most uh, isolated picture of all of them. Um, notice that uh, Jesus doesn't get the comfort in, in Mark's version that we get in, that he gets and we get in some of the other gospels because it says he was crucified between two thieves, but from Mark's recollection and what he was told he maybe doesn't sound like he was aware of the conversation that Jesus had with one of the thieves. Because Mark says they both heaped insults on him. But we know from the other Gospels that one of them rebuked the other guy on the other cross and said, don't you fear God even when you're dying and we're getting what we deserve? And that, that thief looked at Jesus and said, uh, today when you enter your kingdom, remember me. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. But we don't get that relief, as it were, in this story We don't get the tender scene in the Gospel of John where Jesus is on the cross and his mother is there and John is there. John being the beloved disciple, the closest one to Jesus. And basically Jesus entrusts his mother into the care of John. And he says to John, behold your mother and to his mother, behold your son. He sort of gives her to John to take care of. We don't get that relief and we don't get that tender moment in the midst of the pain. In the gospel of Mark, it's stark. Jesus is crucified. He's he's tried and he's beaten and he's crucified completely and utterly alone. And here's the central thought if you want to fill in the notes that you may have there through you version of the PDF notes that were emailed to you. In this scene, we get in on the good news. When we see in the brutal, humiliating crucifixion of Jesus, forsaken by God and men, the clearest, or maybe I should say that the other way, forsaken by men and God, the clearest expression of God's character, the depth of his love for his creation, and his solidarity with the oppressed and the forsaken. Let me read that one more time. We get in on the good news when we see in the brutal, humiliating crucifixion of Jesus, Forsaken by men and God, the clearest expression of God's character, the depth of his love for his creation, and his solidarity with the oppressed and the forsaken. I want to mention three things about what we learn from the cross of Jesus. The cross that was not unique. Crucifixion was completely ununique in Jesus' time. Thousands and thousands of people were crucified by the Romans. Thousands and thousands of Jews were crucified by the Romans, and they would be crucified on the side of the road, and uh, so that when people came in and out of Jerusalem and different parts, big cities, they would um, they would see what happens to anyone that would defy the Roman government. But also, crucifixion was um, was only done to non-citizens, and it was usually reserved for the lowest. Um, outcast or slave or or it, it was just so humiliating it wasn 't just physically painful it was human uh it, it was completely dehumanizing and and the the Romans did that to so many people, but they also did it to jesus it 's not an accident that Jesus was crucified rather than beheaded or rather than ran through with the spear or whatever else the crucifixion. Um, uh, it, 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 the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 when he says that we should have the same mind of Christ that even though he was equal with God didn't, didn't hang on to that but he took on the very form of a man and became obedient to death and he says even death on a cross and so thinking about the cross and the, the, the idea and the nature of crucifixion and the cross of Jesus what can we learn? Well, first of all, the cross of Jesus reveals, and this is so simple but so profound, reveals what God is really like. And I want to say it this way, the cross of Jesus reveals what God is like and how God has always been. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, the Son, speaking of Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. When we see Jesus on the cross suffering a shameful death, the Old Testament that says that cursed is anyone who is hung on a tree. He's, he's suffering a shameful, cursed death. We need to recognize that, that that death and that willingness to go through that expresses the very heart and the very nature of God and his love. This is important for us because if we read through the Old Testament, if you've ever read through the Old Testament, and if you've ever honestly read through the Old Testament, you've been disturbed by many very, very violent depictions of God in the Old Testament where God gives directions to his people to go in and annihilate whole cities, men, women, and children, babies included, and to do all manner of things. I don't have time this morning to get into that except to say that that, we need to not let that picture stand by itself, but we need to see in the cross of Jesus Christ and in his suffering that this expresses the true heart and the true character of God. Jesus is what God is like. Jürgen Moltmann, in another wonderful book called The Crucified God, I would encourage you, it's not an easy book to read, but incredible, incredibly powerful, Jürgen Moltmann, Moltmann The Crucified God, said this, when the crucified Jesus is called the image of the invisible God, that's from Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, the meaning is that this, speaking of the crucifixion and Jesus on the cross, this is God, and God is like this. God is one that loves us so much that he pours himself out upon the cross. Brothers and sisters, what is your picture of God today? Maybe you're visiting with us by video this morning. Maybe you wouldn't even identify yourself as a Christian, but you've somehow come across this video. And What is your understanding of, is there a God? And if there is a God, what is he like? Well, we don't have time to get into all of his characteristics and all of his attributes, but the most important thing I could tell you this morning, if your understanding of the heart of God, of the nature of the God, and the character of God... Is not founded in the picture of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, your picture of God is wrong and inadequate, is inadequate and possibly wrong. The cross of Jesus reveals what God is really like and what He's always been like. And that leads to our next point. The cross of Jesus demonstrates the depth of God's love. We all know the scripture, even people that aren't part of church probably have this memorized, John 3, 16, and also 17. For God, let's all say it together, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, or his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have uh, have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And what we need to see, if it is if the cross of Je- if Jesus is the exact representation of God, if He's the visible image of the invisible God, not only does it demonstrate its character, His character, but when it says in John three sixteen that God so loved the world that He gave His Son, that in giving His His Son, God gave us Himself. There's no real there's 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 not a separation there, and some people have accused God through the crucifixion, saying if you believe that Jesus died for your sins and that God sent him to the cross, they've accused God of child abuse. And that's because they don't have a fundamental belief in and understanding of the Trinitarian nature of God. And Again, this is a deep theological subject that I don't have time to get in and and I couldn't completely explain it to you. Anyways, but but it's so important that we realize that God exists eternally in relationship within himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are three in person, but one in essence. And so, Jesus being the human face of God, all the fullness of God dwelling in him, Jesus is not on the cross against the will of God the Father. They are in this together. So in giving his Son, God has given us his very self. The cross shows us the depth of God's love that he gives us himself. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19, the Apostle Paul says this, and all this, speaking of our salvation, all this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ and God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. We're called to help other people be reconciled to God. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting men's sins against them. God was in Christ. On the cross, God was in Christ. John chapter 14, Jesus says this about himself, starting at verse 10. Don't you believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Now, there's a deep mystery in this passage. Because Jesus is, he's beaten, he's spit on, he's betrayed, he's mocked, um, and he's finally crucified, this brutal, painful, shameful death. And before he dies... As people are mocking him, he he cries out loud, which we have to understand in crucifixion to be able to even barely, you could barely talk because you're slowly dying by asphyxiation as your muscles lose strength. But he mustered up his, his, his voice and he says he cried out in Aramaic, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? And there's been so much debate on this as how could God abandon God and all that. But we need to understand that in that cry, somehow in a mysterious way, Jesus was able to experience our abandonment from God, our separation from God. And yet still it was God in him that was making that cry because in giving his son, God gave us. Himself. Jesus said, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. That part is a deep mystery that we will never understand, but it leads to our third and final point. That the cross of Jesus Christ demonstrates, or excuse me, it reveals what God is really like, His real character. It demonstrates the depths of His love, and finally, it communicates God's solidarity with the oppressed the persecuted, and the abandoned. A little earlier, I quoted Jürgen Moltmann from his book, The Crucified God. Jürgen Moltmann, still alive today, is in his 90s. Uh, he, w- he grew up in Germany, and as a 16-year-old German boy, he was basically drafted into the German army and um, was uh, sent into battle, And he, but he had no desire to be in that. He just got sent there. And he and a group of friends... He said that they, uh, the first time they encountered British forces, they surrendered immediately, and they got taken to um, prisoner of war camp, and uh, they began to be shown pictures of what, what was happening in, the, in Auschwitz and places like that, and they were deeply ashamed and deeply uh, moved and burdened by what they saw, and uh, so much so that Jurgen Moltmann said that he wished he would have just could die with them instead of having to bear the weight of the atrocity that he was seeing. But there were people near him, and even the way the guards treated him, he, he ended up coming, he wasn't raised a Christian, but he ended up get, being given a Bible and he began to read. And, and the thing that sort of ch- was transformative for him is when he even says when he read the Gospel of Mark and he heard the, what's called the cry of dereliction from the mouth of Jesus, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All of a sudden he realized he could believe in a God that I could completely identify with the pain and the suffering and the abandonment of his creatures in this brutal world in in which we live. To say it the other way, I saw an interview with him and he said he could not believe in God, in a God that was untouched, by the pain of the world. It is through the crucifixion and specifically through this, this, this sense of abandonment that Jesus experienced on our behalf that he was able to say, that is a God that I can believe in. Isaiah 53, chapter 3, the famous passage that, that sort of goes along with the crucifixion, uh, the prophecy of Isaiah says this, prophesying about Jesus, he was despised and rejected by mankind a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Brothers and sisters, can I just say this to you this morning, that God has an experiential understanding of your pain. God is not unmoved by your suffering at whatever level it is. In fact, I would say this, no one understands your pain, your suffering, your abandonment, your oppression, whatever you might have walked through. No one understands it better than God himself because he's experienced it physically, psychologically, emotionally, and spiritually in and through Jesus Christ on the cross. The cross communicates God's solidarity with the oppressed and the persecuted and the abandoned. And we need to take hold of that. Now, I need to say this because most of us here that I'm talking to, we've walked through difficult times in our lives. Some of us Some of you have had horrible experiences, maybe of abandonment with your own, in your own family or whatever. But many of us, that the, thinking about uh, what Jurgen Moltmann experienced or what others have experienced, like in Auschwitz and places like that, what we see going on around the world today, we, maybe we're, we're probably pretty far removed from a lot of that. So we also need to understand as we look out into the world and we sometimes are crushed by the weight of the suffering that we see and, and, and uh, you know, worry about and are so broken by, we need to understand that though God isn't moving right now to solve it all, he experienced it all. He, he understands every tear, every suffering, every whip, every indignation that anybody in the world today and throughout history has ever experienced. God has an experiential understanding of your pain and my pain and the pain of everybody around the world. He is a God who suffers with us and that is demonstrated through the cross of Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 4 verse 14 says it this way, So then, since we have a great high priest, speaking of Jesus, who has entered heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe, He's our priest. He's our connection to God the Father. This high priest of ours, and this is the New Living Translation, uh, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. He did not give up on God. He did not turn his back on God. See, when you and I suffer, or when we see the suffering of the world, we're tempted to say, I can't believe in a good God in the face of what I've experienced or the face of what I see going on in the world. It's just not tenable. Until we really look at the cross of Jesus Christ, and specifically in Mark's Gospel, and until we really understand the cry of Jesus Christ, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God knows. Jesus knows your pain. He's experienced it firsthand. And he is with you in your pain. And he will, as we don't turn our backs on him, but we look to him and we grab a hold of him in faith, he will bring us through. He will bring us through. He will, he will give us even hope and joy in this life. And we have the promise of a life to come when that day comes where there will be no more pain and no more sorrow and no more tears and disease and sickness. God knows our pain. He he is on the side of the oppressed and the persecuted. But there's also this, and this isn't played out so much in Mark's gospel. We know this from uh, other places. That Jesus died for the oppressor as much as the oppressed. Because we know that in the other gospels as he's about to die, what does Jesus say? God, I'm doing this all for you, and when I'm gone, I just hope you give, just like the psalmists, so many of the psalmists said, give everybody what they deserve for doing this to me, the Romans and the religious leaders. Is that what he said? That's what you and I would say. We'd say, man, I, they got me. I'm hung on this cross. I'm suffering. But God, I'm counting on you to give them ten times what I got. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus, while his arms are stretched out and he's breathing his last breath, says, Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. They knew they were crucifying, but they didn't understand the bigger picture. Jesus extends forgiveness at the depth of his suffering and sorrow and his depth of his indignation. And so it's important that we understand Jesus is in solidarity with the the oppressed and the persecuted. He knows our pain. He feels that. But he also loves and died for those that are the causes of our pain and our suffering. Because they are oppressed too. Think about anybody in your life that's caused real pain. That cause, that action is coming from pain and oppression in their own lives. Think about the camps in Germany, in Auschwitz, in those places that how dehumanized somebody on the other side of the gun, somebody that's pulling the lever on the gas chambers, they're in a certain sense, they're as dead and lost as the people they're killing. And God and Jesus Christ came to redeem us all. As we would look to him, we would repent of our sinful, selfish ways, and we would cry out to him for forgiveness. And in the midst of our pain and suffering, we would, cry, we would stay connected to him, recognizing that he knows our pain. Again, quoting Jürgen Moltmann from his book, The Crucified God, he said, God allows himself to be humiliated and crucified in the Son in order to free the oppressors and the oppressed from oppression and to open up to them the situation of free, sympathetic humanity. Oh, brothers and sisters, friends, Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ crucified is the hope of the world. He is the one that was the only true human that lived faithfully and fully before God. The one innocent one that gave himself freely on our behalf, went through all the suffering and the pain, went through the sense of abandonment with God himself so that you and I, he was forsaken for our sake, so that you and I could be reconciled to God, reconciled to one another, and brought into the new humanity filled with his holy. Can you grab a hold of that today again? Can we repent of our sinful, selfish ways? Can we repent of our unbelief, of, uh, of our hardness of heart, and let God do a new work in our lives? And I want to conclude by going back to near, near the beginning of the story. As soon as the guards took Jesus and they began to take him, to the cross, to, the, to Golgotha, Skull Hill, to crucify him. Back what they would do is they would strap the crossbeam across their backs, tie it to them, and they would force the person being crucified to carry their own cross. But Jesus had already been whipped. He'd already been beaten. He'd already been tortured, as it were. And um, he, you can imagine he was stumbling and he couldn't carry it. And Simon of Cyrene... Joe Blow is just coming in from the from work, whatever, coming back into the city. And they grab him and they say, hey, you, they didn't give him a choice, he didn't have a choice, they say, you, you're going to carry his cross. So they take it off Jesus and they put it on him. And he walks with Jesus, carries his cross for him. It's interesting, just as a side note, that it says that he, they, it names his sons. Uh, Rufus and I forgot the other one right now. And because they're mentioned later in the Bible and it seems very clear that through this experience Simon became a believer and his family became a believer. But we see pictured in this this whole we were all reminded of Jesus word throughout the gospels and in gospels, uh, Mark chapter 8 verse 34 then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me now, he said that well before he was crucified, and people probably didn't even know how to process that. But now we know what that looks like. Simon was forced to carry his cross, but we, it looks like he he eventually voluntarily bore the cross of Jesus Christ in his life. And as we think about the suffering of Jesus, as we think about the abandonment of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus, we need to end this time by reminding ourselves that Jesus didn't die just. Die, uh, wasn't just crucified on the cross for us, but he calls us to follow us in the way of the cross because that is the way the world will eventually be saved and transformed. It started on that day. That day was the climax. That day was the beginning of the revolution, and it will commence or be consummated on the day that Jesus returns. And in the meantime, those of us that claim the name of Jesus, claim to follow him, We don't follow him in victory parades. We don't follow him by grabbing the levers of power. We don't follow him by demanding our way. We follow him by being led by his spirit, by trying to understand what does it mean, Lord, to take up, when we say my cross, it's really his cross that we're bearing with him so that we can live the kind of lives he lived and have the transformative effect that his life had when he lived. Are we willing, in light of what Jesus has done for us, to take up our cross and follow him. And we can do that because we know the cross is not the end of the story, right? And we're going to get there next week. We can enter into the suffering of Jesus. We can enter in to a cross-shaped life because we know that Jesus is with us today by his Holy Spirit. And we know that he is coming to make all things new. Let's pray. Father, uh, man, this is a, every time we enter into the crucifixion story, it's, it's powerful, it's difficult, it's, it's like got an ugly beauty to it. Uh, and Lord, today we live where the cross is one of the most popular ju- pieces of jewelry. Uh, and, it, and, it, and it's lost its power in our lives and in our imagination. Lord, would you help us? I, I would just pray that those watching today, Lord, would, would take some time to go back and reflect on this passage in Mark. Maybe read the crucifixion stories in all four Gospels and just allow you to reshape our imaginations and bring to, uh, bring to bear in our lives once again what you've done for us, that we could see that this is what you are like, this kind of self-sacrificing love. This is, wasn't a one-off. This is who you are. And this is the kind of, you've called us to yourself, and it's the kind of life you've called us to live as we anticipate that day when there will be no more crosses. And we enter into the fullness of life together with you and with our brothers and sisters in you. Lord, help us in that, I pray. Forgive us of our faithlessness. Forgive us of our faltering ways. Cleanse us and fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit and even with the joy in following after you. I ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.